Welcome to the Project Horse Podcast. We're making advanced horsemanship more accessible by sharing down-to-earth horse training advice, practical tips, and examples from our own experiences as up-and-coming trainers. If you'd like your horsemanship questions answered on the podcast, hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash Horses. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Project Horse Podcast. My name is Jake Lundahl, joined here with my brother Luke. Today's topics we're going to be discussing, first we're going to get into how do you correct problems with cinchiness? This is a question that we've gotten a couple of times, and I'm actually glad we can get back to some of these problem-solving questions. It kind of gets back to our roots and our real bread and butter of what we do well in uh, addressing and solving these issues. And then later on, we're going to discuss our thoughts on the one rain stop as like a foundational, fundamental stage of teaching a horse to stop and, and just handle pressure in general versus a real stop that you need to have on them later and how we teach it and how we teach them to stop with two reins um, and kind of how our mindset on that whole subject and when to make that transition and how has evolved over the years. You know, we used to be real big believers that a good stop was pretty much a perfected one rein stop in the sense that you should get to a point where you never have to touch their face. But we've since realized that that's a good initial step especially in the cult starting process, but you need to also have a real stop and be able to actually pick up with two hands, stop these horses, get them to soften and back up respectfully, willingly, and uh, responsively. So we're going to talk about that, but first let's get into the problem of cinchy horses. And this is, I guess, similar. We talked about saddling issues before. I guess that was more of a question of my horse won't stand still to be saddled. But cinchiness, I can think of a lot of different things. I can think of the horse just kind of shifting around, being uncomfortable, uh, you know, shaking their skin when you go to put the cinch on. Although some horses we've seen will actually turn around and try to bite the person that's saddling or try to kick at them, cow kick them, or just swipe at them in general and really show their displeasure with being saddled. And uh, a lot of people don't have a lot of uh, concept of how to deal with that. And the reason why is because when you're in the saddling process, there's a bit of a choice if the horse is doing that and you're kind of midway through the saddling, you've got the saddle up on them, but you haven't done up the girth all the way yet. You don't really want to do something extreme that's going to provoke a violent reaction out of the horse, either that they pull back or something crazy happens because then there's the possibility that the saddle falls off and, and all this stuff. And so a lot of people are very timid to correct anything or train on their horses in that situation because the saddle's up there. It's kind of a tenuous position that you're in a little bit. You're kind of vulnerable. You're in close to the horse. You got a saddle up on them. Well, if they start behaving this way, you know, nipping at me or whatever, what do I do? Yeah, I'd say there's two different, um, I mean, the, I'd say there's two different categories when we're, we're dealing with cinchiness. There's the blatant disrespect um, and say like a long standing habit. And then there is the, uh, more developed resentment due to the way the saddling process is conducted. Mm -hmm. And to your point with, you know, like, well, you know, I've got the horse tied up and I don't want to provoke a violent reaction. Um, the first thing about the, a horse with any cinch problems 
is to do this or work on it in the middle of an open area, either in the very center of, say, your round pin, or ideally, I would just go out in the middle of your arena. You've got plenty of room. If the horse shifts around, you're not going to be caught up like a round pin. You've got very little room to maneuver where you might end up in a bad angle between the horse and the fence. You know, so I would highly dissuade a person from that unless that's all they had to work with. But an open area, say like an arena would be absolutely perfect. Put your saddle and your pad in the middle of the arena and work on it there. And I think number one with cinchiness is that prevention is better than the cure is where you, is the first thing you need to look at. So a lot of cinchiness habits come from two things. And I want to address this one in I want to address this one first by design, because I think this is where a lot of problems come from, and that is just general respect on the ground. A lot of habits, like with cinchiness, or, you know, whether it's like bridling or cinching the horse up or mounting the horse or something like that, or, you know, I've I've seen horses that are really cranky about it with just grooming the horse, running a, you know, a curry or a brush down the horse or something like that. A lot of habits like that will be prevented if the person does their homework and just gets the horse's respect on the ground first. Like that it's incredible how powerful that is and yet how overlooked and and misused or just, you know, outright ignored that is. If you have the horse's respect, um a lot of people talk about it like with spurs. Well, don't ride old old fatty boom boom over there with spurs because when you touch him with the spurs he doesn't like it you know or or i've seen the well anything like yes this thing is just a sweetheart but any kid over 80 pounds he doesn't like and then he starts to buck blah 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 well he just doesn't like that saddle the tree pinches him or something like that you know and they have a good good argument especially for like a saddle fit yeah this the tree may pinch the horse's withers and as a horseman you don't want that and you need to find gear that fits but at the end of the day, if the horse is respectful, it's not going to have a negative outburst or reaction to, say, a poor fitting saddle. Yeah, a lot of that stuff, if you have their respect on the ground, just as a byproduct, a lot of times the horse doesn't try little things like that. How do horses interact with each other? Well, it depends on the horse's personality. Some more than others will do this, but as a general rule... Horses are always looking for little ways to kind of dominate each other. That could mean just shoving each other around, you know, in close proximity, uh, nipping at each other of who gets the what position on the on the hay bale, position in the pasture, just little little swipes and kicks and bites and shoving that goes on in a herd dynamic. They'll try to play the same games with human beings. And if that horse has had no groundwork education, has no concept of respecting a human's personal space or just being aware of the human's presence in general and that there's things they shouldn't be doing, like shoving that person around with their body, stepping on their feet, you know, that the human's just not going to let them do that stuff with no reaction. Exactly. Um, the horse, if the horse has no consideration like that, well, then you've opened yourself up to all these things. What happens is they develop and get worse over time as the horse just gets away with it more. Right. So it really comes down to bottom line. If you've done your homework and gotten this horse's respect on the ground or, you know, say under saddle as well, um, with issues we were talking about with spurs or the weight of the rider or whatever, but especially for this situation on the ground, if you've developed a relationship on the grounds of respect first and you've gotten this horse where they, the horse is 
confident around you. They're not fearful of you. They're confident, but they are respectful and they understand where they're at in the pecking order. And they understand that you're at the top that this problem doesn't develop. You can have some, you know, random idiot come up and every day they ride it, they just jerk the cinch tight, hop right on and, and kick the old nag and say, all right, let's go. And they could do that every day. And if the horse had a foundation built in respect, he will, he doesn't know any other way to act really. And so he's not going to have these negative behaviors and they won't surface because of that foundation built in respect. And he knows better. And he really, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, he just, he just takes it. He just tightens up his belt and he says, all right, I'm a soldier on. And, And he just takes it in stride. It takes, you know, it takes a little poke in the eye. It's like you train the horse almost to take a joke. So if some random person just throws a saddle on, jerks it super tight and just gets on, he's just, all right, whatever, on to the next thing. And he doesn't yeah. have a massive meltdown and, you know, fight about this one little instance because he's respectful and he knows better. Yeah, it's like, you know, they just kind of become an old soul about, oh, you know, humans, they just do stupid stuff, whatever. And they yeah. just kind of soldier on. They're not like a triggered millennial that gets really offended and butt hurt. Exactly. About exactly. Like that's, that. that's exactly. The, um, the... But there are cases though where, okay, let's say you've addressed the groundwork thing. That clears up a majority, I would say, of these types of issues. Right. But there but are I wanted cases. To, I wanted to put that first. Yes. I wanted to address that first because as a general rule, that is always secondary in the reasoning of yeah. prevent, preventative measures. And it's always, well, they, they always say, now, make sure when you're saddling the horse that you check the fit of the pad, that you check the fit of the tree, that you tighten this inch up three separate times, and you go slowly, and you approach and you retreat, and you tighten it up, loosen it up, tighten it up, loosen it up, and you make sure there's no there's no matted hair, and there's no burrs, and there's mm-hmm. nothing, everything's yep. groomed, and they go through like three pages in a magazine talking about all of the steps with grooming and saddle fit and care to go into it, and then they say at the very end of the article... In like real small print. Oh, by the way, do a little groundwork too. That might help. And that's it. And that's, they're done. <laughs> but and, that should, that should be the first thing on your mind. Exactly. Because, sure. You need to be a horseman. You need to have gear that fits. It doesn't need to have big sand burrs embedded in the pad, you know, have some common sense, obviously, but people run to those little excuses often first and they don't address the groundwork issue. However, even if you are doing your job right, especially if it's like an older horse that's had sort of problems and bad habits in the past that you're kind of addressing or experiencing now, um, there's something to be said for over time, a horse can get sour about it by, you know, being zipped up real tight Mm -hmm. by some ignorant person. And they just resent every day getting cut in half till they turn purple because of that. Or, you know, the person really lifts the saddle up, just launches it and slams it down on their back. Or if the horse you know, I've seen people who they don't, they're not able to read a horse's body language well. And if he kind of shifts his weight around, they'll belly kick him and yell, stand still. So there's something to be said for rough or just very non-horsemanship type treatment that can create sort of a resentment in a horse, even if the quote unquote respect thing is an issue. Or sometimes horses, they just get into a routine and they just sort of resent that, ah, oh, I got to work today. Sure. You know, like Pamela will go on a trail ride and she'll tie old Gray up to the side of the trailer. And old Gray's now realizing, crap, I've got a 25 mile ride coming up. And 
Pamela gets her saddle out and puts it on his back and he's, uh, you know, he's like a grumpy person that showed up to work late so they didn't have time to get coffee. Those type of behaviors will kind of come out. So if you're going to address this, if you're going to dig out the root of the issue, kind of like we talked about with our shifting around while saddling and moving your feet, you need to work on saddling itself as kind of an exercise in an arena or just an open area away from fences and not tied up. We've seen a lot of people do that where they think that if the issues with the horse tied up, you have to correct it while being tied up. They'll whack the horse in the face. It pulls back or they kick it in the belly or they do something and the horse pulls back and panics and fights. Or right, right. It's just a bad situation all around. Yeah. Well, going back to like the preventative thing, the other aspect of it is to prevent the, the sensuiness from developing, you know, tighten this, the girth up in stages. Make sure that when you do tighten it up, that you go and you give them some time to warm up. You do a little bit of groundwork. You throw it in here and there. It doesn't have to be much. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be. Now, I don't want to get in the habit of every time I tighten it up a little bit, I go and just hustle him off and lunge him and make him gallop around because then I'll just build up anxiety every time I tighten the cinch up. But, you know, if I go out there to saddle him up, I may, I may or may not do just a tad bit of groundwork beforehand i before i go to saddle him up and then after i saddle him up and just get the girth kind of snug i may go and do something else I, I may yield his hindquarters i may disengage his front end i may i may you know send him between me and the fence back and forth a few times so whatever it may be um you know i'll just do a little bit of something just to engage his mind and kind of get him moving with that cinch and, and warmed up a little bit it doesn't have to be more than a couple minutes i mean you could do some more if you wanted to especially if it's a younger horse and you're working through uh and getting this horse respectful on the ground and you're working on teaching him a bunch of different exercises you may go and and do a bunch more it's whatever but you can do some sort of groundwork to just engage it get him moving with that cinch you can tighten it up again, maybe do some other little fiddle around with him in some other way. Um, and that's just another good way of, you know, keeping, of preventing a habit like this developing. If you just throw in a little bit of some sort of a groundwork, so it's not just jerk it up tight and then get on and ride. Yep. Now, as far as actually dealing with a problem, if you actually have one now that's, that's biting and, and say kicking out or stomping their leg or they're fiddling around, stuff like that. If the horse is fiddling around when you're trying to saddle them, the best thing that I would do in that situation is a, if it's out of disrespect, first of all, you need to figure out how many holes are in your groundwork program and fix the respect issue that accompanies this. Cause it's not always just, it's the saddle. No, the underlying, that's just a symptom of the cause. And the cause is really just a lack of respect overall in your program. You fix that, a lot of the symptoms will go away. But let's just say, in theory, that it persists. So in that situation, you just have to, in that case, be a thinking horseman. How can I, if the horse fidgets around with the saddle, okay, or he thinks it's a bad thing, and, he, and every time I cinch him up, you know, he stomps the ground, tries to bite me or whatever. Okay, well, how can I make this a good thing? All right, well, what if I go and do groundwork and I make him hustle his feet, hustle, hustle, move, left, right, forwards, backwards, blah, 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 get him huffing and puffing for 10 minutes. Then I stop him in the very center of my arena where I have set my saddle and pad, and then I just throw the pad on and off for a couple of minutes while he catches his air. And then go on, and then we back away from the saddle and pad, and then hustle, hustle, move your feet, left, right, let's go, come on, hustle, hustle, and then bring him and keep his feet moving as I bring him back to the middle. As soon as I get to the middle, stop the horse. Now I might throw the pad on, and now it's on and off with the saddle mm -hmm. for a couple of minutes. And then it might be... On a, and then I go and hustle him again, then I bring him back, and then I then it's throw the saddle on, and then it's up and down with the cinch 
for a couple minutes, just kind of snug, turn loose, snug, turn loose, and then take it off, back him away, go move his feet again, make the saddle where the air is, make the saddle the good place to be, the comfortable place to be, and start connecting that with a positive thing rather than a negative thing. And rather than saying, okay, you get all that done in that session, and then, all right, well, that's good enough for today, now let's go ride. No, how about you just take the saddle, put it on, tighten the girth up and down, up and down, up and down, and then just take everything off and be done. Don't ride in that day. Focus on making it a real positive session just with the saddle. You don't have to say, okay, we did all that work. Now that's all aside. Now I'm going to jerk it up tight and go about our typical day. Well, how about we just fix the uh, root issue and spend a couple days just getting that better so then we can go back and ride and have an enjoyable experience. But let's make a big deal about the saddle being a good thing yeah. rather than going doing all this work, hustling away from the saddle, putting it on and resting. And then we do that five or six times. And then all of a sudden we say, all right, now that's on, it's here to stay. And I'm going to go ride you and do more with the saddle. Right. Let's you, make you, it a big thing that no the saddles, Mr. Good guy. You like saddle. You, you got to let the horse have a win in that situation. That's why we work on trailer loading in a different scenario than we need the horse to load today. You know, like if you put a bunch of, of work into getting that horse on and off the trailer, building his confidence, blah, blah, blah. You know, the best thing to do at that point, once you've conquered the trailer is let him rest, you know, put him away, go do something else, whatever. If you then say, all right, time to cash it in and right. you lock him in the front section right after that, the horse is like, oh, I see what all this was. Yeah. And, and now let's say that it's, you're cinching the horse up and they stomp their leg. Or something like that. And they switch their tail and stomp their leg. Well, what can you do in that situation? Well, you can aggressively yield their hindquarters. You can, or say, they try to reach around and bite you as you're putting the cinch up. Now, obviously, you're not going to have it just one time through the cinch if you're going to do this. So if I have a horse that I know is going to reach around and nip at me, I'll go through probably twice. So if I need to really quickly kind of pull it snug so the saddle won't fall off while I address the problem... I have it ready to go. Mm. But let's say as I cinch it up, he tries to reach around and nip me. Well, what do you do there? Aggressively back his feet up. Hustle, 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 hustle. And then once you've made your point and you've made him hustle his feet, not just step, step, step while he drag, while there's lines in the sand as he drags <laughs> his feet back. No, you gotta be hustling. You're moving yeah. your feet. You don't, you don't bite me. That's, that's off limits. So if he's, let's say, stomping the ground in, in disgust or trying to reach around and bite you, Make those feet move. Aggressively yield those hindquarters. Aggressively back him up. Make your point. And every time that he does it, back a little bit farther. Yield a little bit longer. Get your stick up there. Whack him on the ass a few times. Get him hustling and moving. And then stop what you're doing and go right back to loosen the cinch up and then start doing what you're doing again and dare him to make that, to have that reaction. And then let's say you tighten it up and nothing happens. Boom. Loosen it. Take the saddle off and go do something else for a while. Yeah. Big win. Yeah. If... We've seen it happen to where if you work on the saddling itself as a training session, within two to three sessions, that horse will kind of get the idea. And then from there on, once you want to start riding the horse again, you can set yourself up for success by having that same psychology about saddling. But prior to you getting the saddle out, you do some groundwork, you warm the horse up, get him in a respectful frame of mind, then you go to the saddle, stick with the same psychology. Then, you know, once the saddling process is complete, you move his feet around again, you do some more groundwork, get him loosened up, maybe tighten the cinch once or twice more. Don't zip it up super tight initially. You've kind of made just made it easy like you've made everything flow through the entire session but the big thing is you don't correct this 
with the horse tied up. Find an area that you can actually be out in the arena somewhere safe. You can work on this for a few days in a row. Okay, let's break down our thoughts on the one rain stop, when it's useful versus when to transition out of it, when it sort of becomes not so useful anymore. I think that was one of our biggest misconceptions we had in our earlier career is that we were obsessed with perfecting the one rain stop and we neglected to teach a true stop on our horses. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is because you were coming up with an exercise guide for a friend of ours who's a horsewoman, who's a trainer, uh, and she wanted sort of your opinion on the program that she's following right now and what are the important things that you must have in place versus what is sort of the dead wood that you can get rid of and scrap. And you mentioned, number one, we need to move on from the one rein stop and, and actually get these horses taught to stop not off your seat, but also off a direct rein pull, stopping with both reins um, instead of relying on the one rein stop. They need to be able to back up. And your conception of how she was teaching draw to a stop out of the walk, the trot and the canter, was, in your opinion, not useful. And in mine as well, we've kind of had an evolution on that front. And what I mean by draw to a stop is that you don't, like in this case, what we're talking about with her, what she was doing is not just simply taking a hold with both reins evenly and drawing back to herself smooth and bringing the horse to a stop. We're talking about kind of a stilted, structured way of doing it where you've got both hands on the reins, you slide one hand down, then the other. It's like one, two, on the third beat, you plant one hand on one knee. On the fourth beat, you plant the other hand on the other knee. And if the horse doesn't stop off that pressure, you jerk or bump on the rein with rhythm, with usually your right or your left hand, depending on where they're leaning. And you told her flat out you didn't think that was a very useful thing to be doing. And so we wanted to break down our reasons why that is here. Right. Well, um, I guess so let's back up a little bit and start at the beginning with the, the one rein stops. And I mean, that is probably the most used exercise, I would say, in general riding, um, overall. You know, it's definitely like most horse people, especially people that ride recreationally and whatnot, they know of it and utilize it. Um, but in a way, so, some people have, almost morphed it into the same, into the same category that say, um, working your horse in a round pin gets where a lot of people say, well, if there's any problems, step back, put it in a round pin and let's work on it there. Or if the horse has been off for a while. All right, let's go put it back in the round pin. And it becomes more of kind of a, a handicap or a crutch and they don't want to move on. And with the, one of the main reasons we wanted to talk about this is, the, cause we're going to get into like the actual stopping and the evolution of the stop, stuff like that. And I was of the mindset and I believe you were as well for a long time that stopping a horse, whether you were actually teaching the horse to slide to a stop or just a regular stop, but stopping a horse was really just a horse that's had billions of repetitions with a one rein stop mm -hmm. and it had just gotten so good. Kind of like the whole muscle memory thing, like we've talked about with our neck rating right. episodes. Right, yeah. right. And so it's important to note, and like I was of the mindset that, well, the one rein stop, you just keep practicing it, keep practicing it, keep practicing it, and boom, there's your stop. So then whenever I'm in a situation and I ask my horse to stop, uh, I just cue for that with my body language in the saddle and then 
he should stop. And then if he doesn't, I just reinforce it by bending his head around both, both ways, softening him up, turning him loose and try it again. And in reality, the, uh, later on, we came to realize that the one rain stop is there for two reasons and, and really two reasons alone. And that is the one reason later on in their career is if you're riding somewhere new or on a trail or whatnot, and the horse spooks or jumps, it's a way to regain control and shut the horse's feet down. It is the safest, most effective way to get control of a horse that's overreacting or spooking or running off or whatever. Bend their head around, shut them down with one rein. That's essentially for a more broke horse that's had more riding. That's the use for it. For a greener horse, all it really is is a way to introduce pressure on the horse's face with speed. When the horse, when there's mo, when there's forward motion, it allows you to take control of the horse and get them to handle pressure with, with that forward motion, whether it's the walk, the trot, or the canter, that you can slide your hand down the rein, take a hold of his face, and shut him down. And in doing that, you also engage him mentally where he starts to think about you. But that's as far as it really goes. You have to then move on from that to actually teach him what a real stop is. And you have to move on from that with other exercises, taking a hold of the reins, taking a hold of his face, softening his ribcage, stuff like that to move on. But it plants the seed. Hey, I'm up here. Listen to me. And I can take a hold of you while we have forward motion. And you need to handle that pressure. And it does it in a very basic, easy way that the horse handles it. But where a lot of people go wrong, and I've made this mistake myself, is you think that, okay, that's how you stop the horse now, is with a one-rein stop all the time. And some evidence of that, what really was kind of an aha moment for me, was um, seeing a good friend of ours that does a, a little bit of like local horse showing and stuff like that, and um, was kind of a person who helped us a lot in getting started with our horses and whatnot, and they were in a show ring. And they were doing a trail, the trail class. And so they, they have to open the gate to engage the pattern and start. So the first thing was the, to maneuver a gate and they get through the gate and they stop. And now they have to try and back the horse up and then side pass over to the gate to close, to latch it. Well, the horse had kind of rambled through the gate a little bit. He wasn't really paying attention. So this person in trying to stop the horse, they didn't want to pull, they'd kind of gotten out. They had done so much lateral left and right that they'd almost forgotten that they could pull back on the reins. And so they were sitting there really leaned back in the saddle with their legs out to this off the horse, like out in front of them, like, you know, someone that's kind of like a, a non-pro reiner when they go to fence a horse and they like really lay back in the position ready for the stop. It was kind of like that. And they were like blowing out like, whew, as they were trying to get the horse to stop, like trying to simulate that relaxing their whole body and that trying to cue the horse to stop. And they would not pull back on both reins. And they eventually did a, a one rein stop in the show arena to try and get the horse to stop. And then they backed it up, pulling on two reins, strangely enough, closed the gate and went about their pattern. And after seeing that, I was like, okay, there's got to be something more to this because when, in, when you get in a situation like this where the horse maybe is a little bit distracted or not mentally engaged does is this really an effective way to teach the horse to stop and so it kind of got the ball rolling and then later on going to work for some more like performance centered programs i got to see okay there's there's two different things here there's the initial stages on a green horse or control on the trail and then there's an actual stop and i'm not not even just a sliding stop but an actual stop teaching the horse to stop off of whoa 
and teaching the horse to stop just off rain pressure and not just stop like like a Peterbilt going down a hill and going all the way down through the gears and eventually coming to a, to a rolling stop, but actually stopping with some athleticism and some commitment. Like they take that woe seriously and not relying on you to always be up there baby stepping them or, you know, holding their hand and always trying to throw your body weight around to try and cue this horse or, or remind him that you're up there. But rather wherever, whatever position you are in, if you say woe or you just, close your fingers on the reins or you draw on the reins the horse listens to that respects it takes it seriously and but stops but with some athleticism and so that leads us into the next point which is what you were talking about with stopping a horse by going by sliding one hand down the rein then the other like one two and then pulling the rein to your knee three and then pulling your other rein to your knee four and then if the horse doesn't stop bumping on that rein the problem with that is not so much have to do with like the draw but it has, it's more to do with you aren't teaching the horse how to use themselves in that stop. Like that was the first way that I introduced to stopping a horse with two reins was that way. That was the mm-hmm. first way that I knew how to do it other than the one rein stop. And so it was a new environment for me. And then that was kind of like, okay, so we have the one rein stop. That was the precursor. And now this is how you teach them to stop. But the problem with that is, is what you end up doing is the only way you can shut the horse down and make them take it more seriously is to jerk on the rein and there's no turning the horse around there's no rolling the horse back there's nothing to engage the horse's hind end so two things happen you make the horse real bracy in his in his head and neck because he's expecting that jerk because that's the only way you get the horse to take it seriously plus you only the only way the horse takes it seriously is through the jerk so the chances of him respecting it every time are fairly slim. Like you're going to have to jerk on the rein and then he'll be okay for a couple because he's kind of scared of it. And then he'll, then he'll relax and kind of get lazy about it. And then you have to jerk on it again. And it becomes a cycle where you always have to jerk on the rein every now and then to get the horse to stop. And so the A, that's no way to get it done either. But B, all it does is it teaches the horse through being bracy with its head and neck to dump everything on its front end. And so you get a real rough bracy stop where the horse does not use themselves at all. They're not committed behind. There's really no athleticism involved in the deal at all. And so it's a very, it's kind of a poor man's stop. Yes, you got the horse stopped with two reins, but not well. It just, everything just kind of dumped on the ground. And yeah, you ceased forward motion, but the horse was real bracy and just slammed their front into the ground real hard. Yeah. And that's no way to get it done. There has to be, you have to actually work on the stop and work on the pieces of the stop and say, okay, what are the the physics behind a good stop and what does it take for a horse to stop well and, and to stop softly? I want him to stop quick, but he needs to stop softly and engage himself. And how does a horse do that? Well, it's the same thing as, say, trying to get the horse to lope smooth and collected. You have to engage the hind end. And so you have to go about it in a way that engage, that makes the horse mentally responsible and engage the hind end. And then I've seen, there's other ways to teach the horse to say, stop on woe. And you just go down the fence, you, you say, whoa, and then you bend the horse into the fence and hustle his feet in some circles and then go back down the fence again. And technically that will work because you're associating whoa with, okay, if you don't stop, there's going to be work. But, and if you do stop, then you get to sit there. But at any point, did you engage the horse, um, physically with their hind end? Nowhere right? It's all just hustling his feet around in circles rather than say like a rollback or a turnaround or anything 
to engage the horse's hind end. And that's the essence of a soft, collected, athletic stop. We want a real stop, not just kind of a a quick hack to get the horse to cease forward motion. There's, there's kind of a difference there. There's an actual stop, and then there's just a way to get them to stop going forward, yeah. if that makes sense. I, I think part of the mentality, though, behind teaching it the way you described with the one, two, three, four, you know, slide down, put your hands on your knees, blah, 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 uh, and similar things, and the one rein stop even, like that gets carried forward in some programs too far for too long and i often think it's just because of a crutch it's more so for the human than the horse absolutely it's it's basically a handicap and a way to to put some safety uh some floaties on somebody who has no feel and timing so they don't absolutely go overboard and and figuratively speaking drown themselves you know right. by basically instead of teaching ham-handed harry to have a steady pull and a, and a smooth draw on the reins instead of teaching him about, hey, we need to actually engage this horse's hind end. And, oh, by the way, we can't get over the elephant in the room, which is that if we're going to get this horse to stop well, we've got to be able to teach it to draw to a stop with a steady pull. And it needs to know how to use its hind end. We can't hide from using two reins and just never address that area. We, we have to engage the horse that way at some point exactly and, and planting the f the hands on the knees and all this other stuff is just a way for people who have no feel to then they don't have to worry about doing a smooth and steady pull and how to take a hold of the horse's face and get anything accomplished but i argue that it actually creates other problems that negate whatever benefits it has telling somebody Oh, just jerk down into the side on the rein if the horse doesn't stop. As you described, it just creates braciness and it exacerbates that problem of the horse pitching over everything onto the front end. And I argue, is it worse for ham-handed Harry to jerk on the horse's mouth or is it worse for him to reef back hard on both reins? I argue it's equally as bad. Because it'll lead to the same sort of stiffness and resistance problems later anyway. Exactly. And it's not to say that the one rein stop is bad or doesn't have a place. No, it's absolutely necessary. And it's something that people need to do their due diligence with a green horse or in a situation called for, say, down the trail. That's But that's what it's intended for. And we see all too often, and we made the same mistake ourselves, of thinking that the one rein stop is an actual is a stop that you just work on more and you just becomes finessed until you have a stop yep. when really it's just an exercise that sets the horse up for things moving forward. And the problem we see is that it creates in people this fear to move. They, they become so dialed in on that one maneuver, the one rein stop that they're almost, they become after a while scared to then touch two reins because they think there's some bad stigma to it or they're scared to move past it, and they think they always need to double check it all the time rather than moving forward and actually addressing a stop and finding out oh well if I, I did plenty of one rein stops i set up my foundation now i can actually teach a real stop and now look at the product i have now i've got a really broke horse instead of staying there and just repeating and continuing in that until you're like paralyzed with fear from just repetitions and now you're too scared to move out of it and experiment and try something new or push your horse forward into a new dynamic. It's the same thing we harped on with the neck reining though. We got so dialed into trying to teach it muscle memory wise that we lost the realization that, hey, we need to actually get these horses 
we, we do need to touch their face. In fact, we need to get them accepting and knowing what to do about pressure on their face and on their mouth. We need to eventually ride these things one-handed. It's, it's like focusing on two rein work and lateral softness and then look leg rein and trying to teach quote unquote neck reining through muscle memory created a stigma about riding one handed and, and touching the horse's mouth, quite frankly. And we had to learn that, no, that's, that's the eventual goal that we want to get to. And there's no quick hack or sneaky way that we can skirt around ever having to get through the woods there. Like we, we have to conquer that obstacle at some point. We've got to address it at some point in the future. We can't just ignore it and go around. It's the same thing with the stop here. You have to, to teach an actual stop at some point and move beyond the one rein mentality. So in our next couple of episodes, we're just going to talk a lot about stopping and backing up in the next couple of podcasts. That's We're going to return to our Advanced Horsemanship 101 segment, and that's going to be the main focus there. But we wanted to break the ice talking about the one rein stop because it's a it's a exercise and a concept that has been taken to extreme levels of propaganda and we were in that mentality and in that same boat in the past and so we wanted to put these thoughts out there anyway as always thank you guys for listening we hope you got some value out of this if you have training questions you'd like us to answer hit us up on facebook facebook.com slash lundahl horses thanks for listening Thank you guys for all your support on the Project Horse podcast and the Lundahl Performance Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe and message us with suggestions or topics you'd like us to cover on the show. It makes a big difference in the quality of content we're able to create for you. Thank you for listening and being a part of this growing community.